Well, hello. Uh, it's good to be together. Um, we are, today I'm, I'm looking forward to something that we're going to be covering in our preaching in the weeks to come. We're going to be focusing on the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. Uh, Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a city in ancient Greece called Corinth. Um, it's a letter that he had planted some years earlier. You can read about him planting it in Acts chapter 18. And some years after he'd planted it, he hears that they are having problems. And so he writes to them to address those problems and to give them advice. Now, it's so helpful and such a blessing uh, that the, his, this letter is preserved for us by God's grace in the New Testament because many of the problems that they were experiencing in the church in Corinth have similarities to problems that we experience in the church today. And so Paul's advice to them is wonderfully helpful advice to us. Now, the problem that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is the problem of the way that their meetings were being conducted. Um, it appears that their meetings had become chaotic, combative, competitive, so much so that in the previous chapter, in 1 Corinthians 11, 17, Paul says, your meetings do more harm than good. Imagine that, someone saying to you, it would be better if you didn't meet. You're doing more harm than good. Now, Paul addresses this problem in the way that he addresses many problems in his letters. He begins by laying a foundation of truth, of reminding them who they are in Christ. And so in chapter 12, he gives this analogy of the body. And he says, you as the people of God, you're like a body, all different parts, all different and unique in the way that you function and the way that you're made, and yet all of equal value and all needed. And he reminds them that Christ is the head, that they are surrendered to him and they have to follow him. Then in chapter 13, he gives this beautiful, famous description of God's love and reminds them that this is the love that is to be flowing between them and over them as they gather. And then finally, in chapter 14, having laid his foundation, he gets practical. It's very interesting how he gets practical. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, so follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. This is the way of love. Now we're going to go back over those chapters in detail in the weeks to come. Um, but today I want to focus on the big picture. And I want to establish why what happens when we meet together as church, when we gather together, why it is so important in God's eyes. Now let me say at the outset, I'm aware that not everyone watching will have been to a gathering of everyday church. Uh, you may be watching online. That may be your normal way of connecting with us. If that's you, please bear with me. Towards the end, I'm going to try and say some things that will be hopefully specifically helpful to you. But many of you do gather regularly with us physically in everyday church. You may be in one of our meetings right now. Um, I want to ask you a question. 
Have you ever wondered why we structure our meetings the way we do? Why we put things together the way we do? Now, hopefully, you've felt well-led in the meeting so far. Someone has welcomed you. Someone is clearly taking charge of what's happening in the room. Someone has led a worship band and thought about how that's going to fit together. But have you noticed that there's been space there has been encouragement for other people in the room to bring what God is putting on their heart, even spontaneously, even in the moment. Have you ever wondered why we do that? Is it just a style thing? Is it uh, because the leaders are a bit lazy and can't work out what to do with all that time? Is it just trying to democratize our gatherings? What's it all about? I want to say to you that it's not for us to judge anybody else, any other church and the way they do things, but this is our genuine attempt to get to grips with what Paul is saying in these passages, particularly 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Paul says, What shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, when you gather, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. We take this verse seriously. This is our attempt to put it into practice. This verse is very special to me. I grew up in a church where the pastor did everything, literally did everything. He introduced the meeting and sort of strung it together. He did a Bible reading at some point in that meeting. He would bring an intercessory prayer for the world around us at some point in that meeting. He would preach the sermon. He even chose the hymns, and I think if he could have played the organ, he would have done that too. You didn't hear from anyone else in the whole meeting. Now, he was a godly and a gifted man, and he laid a foundation of biblical truth in my life that I will always be grateful for. But the Holy Spirit was doing something in him, was unsettling something in him, as was happening in many other churches around the country and around the world at that time. Uh, my pastor started talking about Hatha worship. And we used to think, what is Hatha worship? Well, you have to understand that at that time, often it was a long time ago, as you can tell by looking at me. At that time, many of the Bible readings were bought in the King James Version, in the Old English translation of the Bible. And 1 Corinthians 14, 26 reads like this in that version. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. Now, my pastor was challenged by this verse. And he started to tell us that things needed to change. He started to make space in our meetings, very gently, but very uh, deliberately. He taught us how to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit and to bring what we felt the Holy Spirit was saying to us. Sometimes it got quite messy and confusing. But I want to tell you, our meetings came alive. Suddenly, we weren't just talking about God. God was in the room. That's what it felt like. 
Now, I want to tell you the values that the church rediscovered in that period of our history, we have held on to since then. They are still important to us. But it's amazing what you can get used to. It's amazing that what at one time felt revolutionary can become mundane and ordinary. I think that's why uh, we have to keep stirring ourselves up. As Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flame, stir up the gift that is in you. As elders in everyday church, we feel this is a season to stir things up again. Not because the flame's gone out, but because it needs stirring up and breathing on, breathing fresh life into again. Now, in a dark time for God's people, the prophet Isaiah spoke some words over God's people that I feel the Holy Spirit speaking afresh over us as everyday church again today. And those words are these in Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is upon you. We can say the church is about many things. We can say many things about church are important. We can talk about social action and social justice and the church's engagement in those areas. We can talk about the community, family life of the church, which is so important and so precious. We can talk about our music uh, and uh, other aspects of our creative endeavors. We can talk about our evangelistic outreach, which is the command of Jesus over us. We can talk about uh, bringing emotional and physical healing in a world that's so damaged, freedom. We can think about upright and godly living amongst God's people. These are all important, but they're not the main thing. They are consequential. They come out of the main thing. The main thing is God's presence amongst us, God's glory upon us when we gather. That ancient promise that you remember a few weeks ago when we were preaching through the book of Exodus, that often repeated promise from God speaking over his people, they will be my people and I will dwell among them. (coughs) Everything, everything flows from the presence of God amongst us when we gather, our intimacy with him. That's the point of it all. Isaiah says, arise, shine, for your light has come. The light comes to us. We don't work up light through rubbing the sticks of our good works or our religious activity together. Light has to come to us. We can only shine because light has come to us. The book of Isaiah is full of promises that a redeemer will come and that God's spirit will be poured out. We are the other side of the cross and we can say a redeemer has come. His name is Jesus. And because of his perfect life, his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, that ancient promise has been fulfilled and the Holy Spirit has been poured out on men and women. Now, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out, you can read about this in, the, in Acts chapter 2. He appeared as fire on the disciples' heads. Amazing. In the Old Testament, 
fire and wind often uh, signified the presence, the arrival of God amongst his people. But here's the difference. In the Old Testament, that fire was something external, something that you followed. Now we're not following fire and smoke. The fire is within us. Fire and wind is visible and it's not easily controlled. God cannot be contained and he cannot be hidden. This says to us that we shouldn't try and control God and that his presence amongst us should be tangible. It should be felt. Now, if you've been with us for any time, hopefully you know that we will often teach you that we are not to be a people who are ruled by our feelings. What's true about God is always true about God, whatever you are feeling. Excuse me. But we should expect God's presence amongst us to be tangible, to be felt. Isaiah says, the glory of the Lord is upon you. He talks about shining. He's talking about more than following an example, more than seeing something and copying it. He's talking about God himself residing amongst us, a tabernacle, tabernacling with us. We are not just to be reflectors of light. We are carriers of light. Isaiah says we are to arise. I hear that to mean we are not to be passive. We are to act. Yes, God acts first. He comes to us. He is sovereign in all things, but we are not to be passive. The Holy Spirit blows where he will, but we are to be expectant and to position ourselves to receive him. A sailor can say, the wind blows where it will, I can't control it. But if he doesn't act and put up his sail, it has no effect on him. So that means when we gather, we need to think about our posture. I think literally, our physical posture that changes things inside sometimes just by lifting your hands, just by lifting your gaze. And about our Inside posture, our attitude. We mustn't be passive. We need to seek him. The whole point of this series that we're getting into is that we should eagerly desire God's presence and therefore position ourselves to receive him, to welcome him. I think the primary way that we position ourselves, that we arise, is in our asking and in our worship. Asking. You know, many Christians, whatever they've experienced in the past, are not full of the Spirit right now. And I can have seasons in my life where I am not full of the Spirit. Why? Usually because I've stopped desiring and therefore I've stopped asking. Why don't we ask? Sometimes it's to do with fear. We might be fearful about what the Holy Spirit might do in our lives or our meetings if we give him free reign. We might not understand our need of him. We might think, well, we've got some decent musicians and we've got some people who can string a sentence together. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? We might not articulate it that way. Sometimes that is our attitude, though. Often we want to dictate the terms on which God will come to us. 
And that's not an attitude which is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Often, maybe, we're just not bothered. We've settled for for less. We've got stuck in a routine. It's interesting, Jesus places all those objections to receiving the Holy Spirit in the context of our relationship to God as Father. Luke 11, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's develop this attitude of asking. Let's develop it when we're on our own. Let's make it a daily habit. But certainly as we gather, as we gather, let's ask Holy Spirit, come and be present amongst us today. Have your way, especially as we gather. If arising is about our posture, it's got to be about what happens when we worship. To shine, we have to behold. To reflect light, we have to gaze upon light. And worship, I would suggest, is primarily deliberately looking at Jesus, deliberately and intentionally filling our minds with wonderful things about him and then reflecting, expressing what we see. So important we understand worship is not the icing on the cake for church. It's the cake. It's not the throth. It's the foundation that we build everything else on. It's not just some kind of element of expression of who we are. It is who we are, primarily made to see and to glorify God. The community life, the social action, the outreach, the godly lives, they're all crucial. And if they're not present, it's reasonable to ask, is the Holy Spirit present? Because these are all the fruit that he bears. But the foundation is worship. <clears throat> Everything else, I think of it like the radiators. They're where the heat comes out of, but they're not where the heat originates. The heat originates in the boiler, and the boiler is our worship, our encounters with God. We want to encounter Jesus. We want to know his presence amongst us. And if you don't have that desire, then start by asking the Holy Spirit to give you that desire. That would be such a good first step. It's the Holy Spirit who makes this encounter with Jesus possible by bringing to our minds truths about Jesus and by setting them ablaze in our hearts. This happens wonderfully when we're on our own. It can happen any moment, any time, any place. Just get a moment and the Holy Spirit will ignite your thoughts about Jesus when you turn your mind to him. But even more importantly, when we gather together. I find lighthouses fascinating. Probably because I don't live by the sea and therefore if I'm looking at a lighthouse, usually I'm on holiday and usually somewhere nice. Um, a particular lighthouse is the Bell Rock Lighthouse. It's 11 miles out to sea from our broth on the east coast of Scotland. It's built on a rock that most of the time is just under the surface of the water, which is why it was so dangerous to shipping, why so many ships got wrecked there. Just for a few hours each day, it emerges when the tide's at its lowest. And they built a lighthouse there in 1810. A remarkable feat of engineering. 
uh, under the direction of uh, Robert Stevenson from the famous Stevenson family. Uh, they built a platform on the rock somehow, a wooden platform with some kind of shelter on it. For three years, men lived in that shelter, enduring all kinds of hostile weather conditions. And then for a few hours each day when the rock was visible, they'd come scurrying out and by hand chisel out a foundation in that rock. And then somehow they bought from, from, the, from the mainland uh, granite blocks which had been preformed and somehow from ships winched them into place on that piece of rock. They did such an amazing job that 200 years later, that lighthouse, that structure is still standing, still functioning. Lighthouse buildings are amazing, but lighthouse lenses too. They're amazing feats of technology for the age in which they were made. They're not just sheets of glass around a light. They are intricately fashioned and shaped uh, pieces of glass that are designed to refract and reflect light so that it's intensified in its shining. I love the diversity of our gatherings, the increasing diversity of our gatherings. I love the fact that we are men and women, that we are young and old, that the diversity of our cultural and ethnic heritages is, is expanding. That is so good. Our educational experiences, our professions gets broader and broader. That is so good. I think of it as a multifaceted lens. As we gather, light bounces around within the lens of our church family. So the Holy Spirit brings to your mind something that I would have never thought of or expresses it in a way that I never could. He uses your personality. He uses your experiences, your culture. And what you express bounces off onto somebody else. You thought it was just a tiny spark of a thought that was hardly worth expressing. But as it hits them, it splits into a rainbow colour that just makes everybody gasp. Never dismiss what the Holy Spirit brings to your mind when we gather to worship. It says in Psalm 34, 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Is God small that he needs magnifying? No, but your thoughts about him often are. They're the thing that needs magnifying. We can worry in that kind. What if I bring the wrong thing? How do I know it's the right thing? Listen, if your heart is to glorify Jesus, if you love the church and want to bless the brothers and sisters around you, if you let the word of God, the Bible, define truth about God for you and set the boundaries, I would say you are very unlikely to get it wrong. We need to be bold. We need to bring what the Holy Spirit gives us. You know, Isaiah 59 sets the context for Isaiah 60 and the exhortation to arise and shine. It says in Isaiah 59, As for me, this is the covenant I made with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, 
and my words that I've put in your mouth will always be on your lips and on the lips of your children and the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. We're a covenant people. That means we're surrendered to God. We're not dipping in and out. We are committed. We are your people, God. We want to worship you. And he's made his covenant with us wonderfully, never to leave us. We have his word and we have his spirit. But do you notice the power of the word is when it's spoken, not just when it's in our minds, but when it's in our mouths, when it's on our lips. So we need to speak it out. We need to own it. The Holy Spirit is like the fire in our worship meetings. And the word of God is like the fuel that it feeds on. You need both. So in our meetings, someone shares a picture, just an impression that the Holy Spirit has given them about some truth about who God is or what he does. And that picture as they share it starts a little fire. And someone else brings a a scripture, like a big log, and they drop it on the fire and poof, suddenly the thing ignites and takes hold. Someone else, they don't know how to express what is going on in their heart and their emotions as they're thinking about God, so they bring a tongue. They express what they're feeling about God in a language that they don't know or understand, but their spirit is worshipping God. And someone else, by the Holy Spirit, gets a sense of what is being said and so brings that interpretation. The church is encouraged and built up. Our ideas about God are magnified amongst us. The unbeliever says something is happening here. I don't know what. Something is happening here. God is glorified. God is glorified. Above all, his heart sings as his people worship him. And what begins in worship in our gatherings radiates out in our witness and our good deeds, just as Jesus commanded us in Matthew 5, 16. Can you see how this involves you? Can you see how it's not just about the worship band or the leaders? It's about you and your openness to what God will do in you. I remember myself as a young man being in these meetings. No thought that I would take part. I remember one meeting in particular, a well-meaning older lady nudging me in the back and saying, I think it would be good if you bought something now. God wants to use you. I think everyone in the room heard her. I was terrified. I don't think I bought anything on that moment. But eventually, I did. Eventually, I took the plunge. And let me tell you, over the years, boy, have I dropped some clangers in, in the meetings of God people, God's people. Boy, have I said some things. Sometimes might be, this might be one of them. I've said some things late, that later on I think, oh boy, what on earth was I thinking? I've made some big mistakes but I've also uttered truths that angels long to understand, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, 12. You know, these kind of meetings where you take the controls off sometimes and invite anyone to bring what the Holy Spirit is bringing, they raise big challenges. Do you know a Lamborghini is much safer till you turn the ignition? 
<laughs> Much safer if you just invite your neighbours to admire it on the drive. Something, get into a different realm when you turn that ignition, start revving it up. We might wonder, how are we going to fit everything in to a meeting like that? Believe me, that's a big worry for leaders sometimes. How are we going to explain what's happening to visitors? What do we do if someone brings a really unhelpful or really weird contribution? How do we do things decently and in order? You know, those are issues which we do and will continue to grapple with. And Paul will help us from the book of Corinthians and elsewhere. But today I'm bringing an exhortation. I'm saying to us, guys, let's stir it up. Let's eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit amongst us as we gather. So my question to you is, do you want this? Is this something that you eagerly desire? Not a spectacle or entertainment, but as the very presence of Jesus when we gather. And now you may be watching online. Uh, you may not be able to get to a church, physical church gathering. There may be no church nearby, or it may be you physically can't get there, or it may be that it's unsafe for you to gather. Well, you're going to have to be imaginative. <laughs> and we want to help you. If you click on the chat room function on the online service, if that's where you're watching this from, um, you will see some ways in which we can encourage you and help you to connect with other believers. It might be even in this moment that you can think about other believers who you are connected to, that you can maybe text or call and share something that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind, a word of encouragement, a word of worship, a scripture. See what it sparks in them and what bounces back to you when you do that. But if you can get to a gathering, if you can get to a gathering, my, I plead with you, make it a priority. Don't get out of the habit of gathering together with God's people as uh, we're encouraged to in uh, Hebrews 10, 25. Your view of God on your own is inadequate. It is inadequate. You need the diversity of the body of Christ to enable you to magnify him. Let us magnify him together. <coughs> I love what God is doing amongst us when we gather. I love the ordinariness of our surroundings. I'm an everyday Sutton. Our surroundings are very ordinary. We're just in a school hall. I love, don't misunderstand me, we should strive to do things excellently, always to the best of our ability. But I love it, our enforced weakness. I love it when we're struggling to get a worship band together. I, I mean, I, you understand me. I love it when we get one together. But I love the things that make us dependent. The weeks when the tech fails or the weeks when the preacher doesn't turn up. I love it when they do. I'm hedging my bets. <laughs> I love everything that makes us dependent on the Holy Spirit. Our times together are so precious. They are so precious. So delighted in what we have. But I hear the Holy Spirit saying, come deeper. He's always saying, come deeper. 
always saying, I've got more to show you. Brothers and sisters, do you desire this? Will you come deeper? Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord arises upon you. God bless you.